turbulent times call for clear-headed insight. That's hard to come by these days, especially on TV. That's where we come in. Salem News Channel has the greatest collection of conservative minds all in one place. People you know and trust, like Dennis Prager, Eric Metaxas, Charlie Kirk, and more. Unfiltered, unapologetic truth. Find what you're searching for at snc.tv and on Local Now Channel Beyond. Uh, this is Alan Kerr, pinch hitting for uh, Dave Ellswick on the Dave Ellswick Show. Uh, while Dave is out uh, taking care of some personal business, <clears throat> she uh, he um, uh, entrusted his show with me this morning. And I'm here with Heidi Soul, uh, my engineer, my soul sister for the morning. Um, you've never heard that before, have you? Nobody's I have ever never used that. heard that before yeah, okay. at all. <laughs> <clears throat> Nobody ever uses that. Um, we've got a really good slate of guests for you this morning <clears throat> coming up in the um, in uh, the 6.30 half hour. Uh, Congressman, uh, former Congressman Ed Bethune has a new book that he wants to tell us about. A uh, very, very interesting uh, man. It's got a, a lot of history in Arkansas. Uh, Congressman French Hill is going to be on uh, from 7 to 7.30 this morning uh, telling us everything that's going on currently in the Capitol and um, uh, Lieutenant Governor Tim Griffin is going to be with us also uh, at the 7.30 point. Um, We will uh, talk with Tim about uh, local issues uh, in Arkansas. Uh, Coming up on the 8 o'clock hour, we have the uh, the car and truck guys, so you'll be able to call in and and talk about all the problems you're having with your your car uh, or your truck or... um, any vehicle that you might have, I'm sure they've worked on just about all of them. Incidentally, if you're uh, wanting to to uh, see this show or or listen to it uh, in the future, if you've missed out on the show today, you can always listen to the Dave Ellswick uh, podcast at 101.1 FM, theanswer.com, or rewatch today's show on the uh, 101.1 FM, the answer Facebook page. Uh, again, I am Alan Kerr. I am a um, former lots of things. Uh, I started the insurance business in 1980 and uh, uh, long, long time ago, probably before uh, Heidi was ever thought of, but um, uh, been in the insurance business all that time, ran my own business. Um, I was um, had lots of titles. I, had, I was a justice of the peace uh, for Pulaski County. I was a state legislator. I'm a recovering uh, legislator. Um, for the House of Representatives here in Arkansas. Most recently, I was the insurance commissioner for the state of Arkansas for the past five years. So now I I don't really have a title. I'm just Alan Kerr. That's sad. No title. Dad, husband. Yeah. Um, But we do have a really good uh, show for you today. Uh, We're going to touch on some of the news stories of, of the day. And um, right off the bat, 
Um, I I think it's the lead story. You know, uh, the Cracker Barrel is adding alcohol to its menu. Who'd have thought? That's crazy. I for some reason I thought they already had alcohol on their menu, but I don't, I don't no, know. No, no, that was in the in the the kitchen where they had alcohol. Oh, uh, but, okay. <laughs> <laughs> no. Um, next thing you know, Chick Fil A is going to be selling beer. I mean, come on. Ooh, that seems a little far fetched. A little excessive. But yeah, but I don't know. We'll see. Yeah. We'll see. Uh, Southern based theme restaurant is hoping to pick up your spirits in the post pandemic era by adding some spirits. And new items to its menu. Cracker Barrel, now uh, known for its Southern-style menu and folksy home approach to eating, is, is testing out adding beer and wine as patrons start to return from the coronavirus shutdown across the country. The, the beer and wine offerings are currently offered in 20 restaurants now and uh, <clears throat> evidently it tested out well because they're trying to spread it out. Cracker Barrel has reopened over 500 of its 664 restaurants for limited dine-in service. Adding offers, offerings such as chicken pot pie and southern fried pork chops. Now, that's what I'm talking about. That sounds delicious. <clears throat> Absolutely. Digital business and continuing delivery uh, and, and curbside pickup will remain even as dining rooms reopen. Uh, Cracker Barrel reopened. Um, oh, Cracker Barrel reported 41.7% decline in the same store sales for its third quarter ending May 1st, uh, like a lot of restaurants. Uh, now, you know, um, I have talked to a lot of restaurants uh, and business owners, and uh, like, for instance, uh, Chick-fil-A, we mentioned them. I asked them when they were reopening their, their dining room, yeah, and they said, um, not anytime soon. <laughs> I miss Chick-fil-A's dining room. Yeah. <clears throat> I go to Chick-fil-A every morning, and um, uh, I asked them why, and they said, well... We're doing pretty well with the drive-thru. I mean, they've got that two lines true. going constantly all the That's time. That's true. Yeah. And um, but their dining room is so clean. It is always so clean, and mm-hmm. it's so nice in there and quiet, and the, the background music and everything. It's mm-hmm. so, and the staff is so so nice. I miss I miss the staff, and you know they, um, but but they're making as much or more money without the dining room because they don't have to have as much staff. No. Yeah. To do the drive-thru. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, the kitchen staff and the drive-thru. Uh, they got the kids out there taking orders. Now, mm-hmm. I tell you what, if we could get the DMV to... Um, <laughs> we get the DMV to, to, to pick up uh, the the process that, that Chick-fil-A has put together, right. nobody would ever be waiting at the DMV ever again. <laughs> no one would ever be mad at the no. DMV. Not a no, single person. Not one. So, I mean, there you're you're in line, and it's really the only thing holding up the line is the lady putting her her wallet back in her purse and putting her purse back on the floorboard in Are front of you. Are you calling me out, Alan? <laughs> you're calling me out. I feel I feel very attacked. The sign says, "Have your money and your app ready before That's you get to the me. window." I need to do better. Yes. <laughs> doggone it i mean really <clears throat> but yeah i mean they're they're <laughs> a lot of these restaurants are doing pretty well with their with their takeout of course that's because you know there's no competition for dine-in yeah you know yeah and so if everybody's doing drive through that's that's going to be doing pretty good but when dine-in starts up again mm-hmm. um <clears throat> pretty soon 
Um, as a matter of fact, I've got that story here in front of me. Um, the uh, latest report from the governor. Arkansas reported 340 new cases of COVID-19 and six new deaths, unfortunately, to the virus on Tuesday. Um, having been insurance commissioner, I, I used to work for the governor. Super good governor. Uh, it's reached over 10,000 confirmed cases of the virus, according to the health officials. Governor Hutchinson said in a news conference on Tuesday that he will make an announcement on Wednesday, <clears throat> that's today, about Arkansas moving into phase two of reopening. Thank goodness. Um, I talked to a commissioner, the insurance commissioner of uh, Oklahoma yesterday, and all he could do was boast about Oklahoma is completely open. Really? Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. <clears throat> we'll see what their numbers look we'll like. We'll see. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> with more focused and, and frequent testing, Arkansas' most recent positively uh recent positivity rate is seven percent three percent lower than the nation's positive testing average of ten percent according to health secretary dr nate smith in april during a previous peak of cases in the state hospitalizations reach 110 now we have 173 hospitalized for coronavirus hutchinson said on tuesday the rise in numbers is still manageable for arkansas hospitals we're not overflowing yet that's good Benton County and Washington County have seen a steep increase in cases over the last week with over 1,100 active cases. More than half of the cases in the southeast region of Arkansas has been correctional facilities, uh, Smith said. Uh, There is a disappropriate fatality rate for cases in Jefferson County. 84% of cases in the county have resulted in death. That's not good. Uh, Smith said on Tuesday that Jefferson County's high mortality rate, which is five times higher than the state's coronavirus mortality rate, is due to high number of cases in nursing homes. On Tuesday, there had been 10,080 confirmed cases of COVID-19 in Arkansas. Uh, 6,975 people have recovered and 161 people have died. Goodness. That's terrible. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if you noticed, but I cleaned everything in here when I came. <laughs> yes, thank my, you. My I, wife is listening. Yes, I cleaned it all before I said that. <laughs> I applaud you. <laughs> um, oh, goodness. Yeah. So, just not good. No. Um, let's see here. In other news, Little Rock Board of Directors vote yes to purchase body-worn cameras for Little Rock Police Department. Um. Little Rock Board of Directors has voted to purchase body cameras. Uh, board members have say they uh, previously wanted to wait due to funding, but now they say we can't wait anymore. The agenda says the price of body-worn cameras is more than $700,000. However, the city attorney clarified that it was not correct, and the actual price uh, will be a di- well. It, the actual price will be different. The company supplied the body cameras. Uh, agreed to add 25 cameras at no cost, and the city will not start paying back the debt for 11 months. <clears throat> In other words, they put them on a credit card. <laughs> put it on my bill. Put, put it, it on, on my, my tab. Bill. Yeah. Yeah. Both of these are reasons that helped uh, move the board towards uh, passing the vote. Even though we do not know our financial situation, that we are committing a large amount of money to, to the purchase of these cameras, it is the right thing to do, given the situation we're in, said Compuris. 
Uh, he's one of the board of directors. Mayor Frank Scott Jr. said previously the video collected on the body-worn cameras would be available for an investigation if the department received a Freedom of Information Act request. I'm positive they will receive those. <laughs> I got them all the time with the insurance department. Every Little Rock Police Department, LRPD officer will have their own body-worn camera. <clears throat> so, all of them are going to be cameraed up. Heidi, you ever seen Gone with the Wind? You know, I have. There was one time, uh, you know, I went over to my my grandma's house and uh, we watched all four hours. We started at like six o'clock. And by the time 10 o'clock rolled around, I was like, "Ooh, I'm sleepy. It was a great movie, though. But I was like, it's a marathon to get through, but it's beautiful. It's a little drawn out, but yeah, Yeah. it's a beautiful movie. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. Try watching the Ten Commandments. It's it's about I've six hours. I've seen that too. That's that's a, that's a goodie though. <laughs> yeah, good to watch at Easter. It is. Well, <clears throat> I'm good. I'm glad you saw it because HBO is pulling Gone with the Wind from the library. Oh yeah. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Not going to get into that, but uh, right due to, due to things going on nowadays, they're they're exactly. pulling it from the library. I gotcha. <clears throat> Not gotcha. sure. I think that's a little excessive, but. Uh, is what it is <clears throat> you know the uh glasses here for the fine print they say the coronavirus may have been spreading in china as early as late august according mm-hmm. to a harvard medical school study on satellite images uh satellite images of wuhan hospital parking lots and search engine data i don't think you can go anywhere or do anything without satellite watching you <clears throat> that that's disturbing yeah you ever read the book 1984 i have i have yeah. that's it that's a bleak book it is well it was required reading in the seventh grade when i was in school gotcha long before 1984 <laughs> we won't when go 19- there when 1984 <clears throat> was the future that's right that's right <laughs> yes before marty mcfly got into that car uh, we gotta go back in time doc <laughs> that's right <laughs> um the research team used t- techniques similar to those employed by intelligence agencies to analyze commercial satellite imagery and observe a dramatic increase in hospital traffic outside five major Wuhan uh, hospitals beginning la- late summer and early fall 2019, head researcher Dr. John Brownstein told ABC News. Um, Wuhan's Tain Yu hospital saw 171 cars in its parking lot on october 10 2018 according to the study's filings a year later satellite imagery showed 285 cars were in the parking lot a 67 percent increase uh abc reported other hospitals saw up to 90 percent increase in traffic between two consecutive years the study found wuhan uh, medical university saw a spike in midsummer 2019 um Gosh, what if they're watching the cars outside my house? What we're trying to do is look at the activity, how busy a hospital is, Brownstein told New Network. And they were, uh, and the way we do that is by counting the cars that are in the hospital parking lots. We'll, uh, we'll get full, a hospi- we'll, we'll get full as a hospital gets busy. No kidding. At the same time, China also saw a spike in Internet searches for symptoms of the virus. Now, there's there's the telltale right there, including coughs and diarrhea, uh, the researchers found. So, 
<clears throat> Chances are this has been around a lot longer than we thought it was. Um, yes. Okay. And uh, with that, we are going to uh, take a break and make some money. And uh, we're going to do traffic and news. And we'll be back right after these uh, messages and our break. Good morning, Little Rock. This is Alan Kerr filling in for Dave Ellswick, who's uh, out taking care of some personal business uh, today and uh, happy to be here. Uh, it's very early, uh, about about uh, 626, and I uh, uh, hope you're uh, up and moving around and getting your day started. Um, here in the next uh, uh, few minutes, uh, as we reach into the, uh, the 630 hour, we will have our guest on the radio of... Uh, Former Congressman Ed Bethune, uh, this gentleman is um, um, very impressive, has a, an impressive revenue, uh, revenue, <sighs> impressive resume. Yeah, I bet he has impressive revenue, too, um, especially from the books he's been writing. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, uh, we're going to talk about his new book. Uh, Congressman Bethune is a former Marine, former FBI agent, prosecutor, um author of several books uh, he's going to tell us about his latest one but um i, I would only wish to have uh, such a, a resume as uh, congressman bethune he was a republican back before long before republican was was in vogue in arkansas oh yeah yeah mm-hmm. 1979 to 1985 because arkansas used to be kind of a, a blue state Kind Didn't of a they? blue state, or like mostly, it was a blue state. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I need to do a little bit more creatures, but yeah, yeah, yeah I, I know mean, what you're saying. I mean, it was dark blue. Mm. Um, it was, uh, and even when I ran it for the House of Representatives in in 2006, seven somewhere in there, yeah, um, it was it was quite lonely <laughs> in the Republican <laughs> corner. Uh, oh man! And I'm sure it was extremely lonely for Congressman Bethune, right? Um, but I'm looking at a picture here of him sitting at a table with um, um, George Bush and uh, Ronald Reagan, two of my favorite people in politics. So. Um, uh, we'll have a good time talking with him and uh, um, see what that book's all about. Okay. Um, keep in mind that anything that you hear today on the radio, you can always go back and revisit. If you missed out on any of the show today, you can always listen to the Dave Ellswick Show uh, podcast at 1011fmtheanswer.com or rewatch today's show on the 1011fm The Answer Facebook page. Um, in just a few, few seconds, we're gonna we're gonna break into our uh, our hard news. Um, we really appreciate you wa- listening for the uh, Dave Ellswick show this morning. I'm Alan Kerr, uh, former uh, insurance agent, former state representative, former insurance commissioner, and now I'm just plain old Alan Kerr. Um, currently working as uh, senior executive vice president for OneShare Health, uh, a uh, company out of texas we are a health share ministry you ever hear of that you're here of that heidi no um uh, would, you mind ex- would you mind expanding well, upon it a little bit yeah just a little bit uh health share ministry is kind of like um it's not insurance but it's an alternate way to um 
to cover your your health insurance needs or your health uh, bills. Is it similar to MediShare or something different? We're not going to talk about MediShare. Oh, okay. Okay, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I might have stepped on a toe. It, it is a similar company, but much better. Oh, than Medi- okay. There, there are competition. I see. There are competition. I gotcha. So, yeah. Um, but, yeah, I mean, uh, uh, it's a way to, to take care of your health needs, an alternate way, and uh, – a lot less, uh, a lot less costly than regular health insurance, but uh, we'll get into that on another show. I'm going to be on the show uh, with uh, Senator uh, Kim Hammer on uh, on Saturday from twelve to one. So we're going to break into our hard news, and um, we'll see you when we come back with uh, Ed Bethune. Good morning, Little Rock. This is Alan Kerr filling in for Dave Ellswick while Dave is out uh, taking care of some personal business. Uh, Very happy to be here this morning on this bright, sunny day as the sun comes up. um, It's about uh, 635, and uh, uh, we're having a great morning here so far. I'm glad that you're able to tune in with us. Uh, Right now on the live line, we've got uh, Congressman Ed Bethune. Uh, Congressman Bethune is a former Marine joined the marines at 18 that's a heck of a heck of a college isn't it you know um fbi agent prosecutor congressman um i believe is also an attorney uh author and uh, we're going to uh, talk to him this morning about his latest book um i could go through his bio here it would take me the whole half hour because it's like six or seven or eight pages so uh congressman bethune is um um, very well known in Arkansas, and he was a congressman when things were very lean in the Republican Party in uh, in Arkansas. He was pretty lonely up there in Washington, uh, as far as Arkansas goes. But um, he managed to pull it out. And I mean, he was he was elected a Republican congressman. Um, I'll have to ask him, but it was probably um, well, probably the first one since uh, Reconstruction. So. Um, Congressman Ed Bethune, are you with us? I am. Good morning, sir. How are you today? Well, I'm just fine. And uh, tell us about your uh, your new book. What's the name of it? Uh, it's called The Thinking Spot. The Thinking <laughs> and, uh, Spot. When I, yeah, when I named the book, uh, it was before all the current uh, issues had arisen, and um, so it's pretty appropriate for the times. Uh, we need to do more thinking right now than ever before. Well, and and uh, your your book called the Thinking Spot. What is uh, what kind of thinking are we are we uh, depicting there? Well, look, Alan. I need to tell you um, when I got uh, retired, um, I decided that I needed to to do something with myself, uh, constructive. So I started writing. First, I wrote a memoir, but uh, and told about you know my life and uh, all those boring things that uh, I've gone through. Uh, but it's a pretty interesting collection of, uh, of history uh, for those who want to read about the riots in Newark, New Jersey, in 1967. I was there, uh, or the great transformation in Arkansas when we threw out Orville Faubus and all the bigots that had controlled. Arkansas politics for a hundred years and opened the, the uh, door 
and invited uh, blacks and women into government. First time uh, in the history of our state, I was proud to associate with with uh, that uh, group of people, and and we got a lot done in those days. Uh, the main thing we did was uh, change minds, and so um, I've been fascinated since I was a little boy with the issue of prejudice. Uh, my father was a disabled man. He had polio when he was nine months old and struggled to, to walk. And I watched uh, as he suffered the uh, discrimination and prejudice that people had for people who were disabled. And um, so I've always been interested in those issues. And then, of course, when I got involved with um the FBI, and then later with uh, Governor Rockefeller, I became very interested in the issue of racial injustice and how to fix that. It wasn't just racial injustice. Uh, women had no place to go in, in Arkansas in the old days under the uh, the old guard Democrats. Uh, they were closed-minded, and so society was closed to blacks and women, and people like me who didn't have connections. Uh, so I've always been interested in in prejudice, and what I write about is the great American struggle to make the most of our differences rather than to tear each other down all the time. So um, the first novel that I wrote was uh, called Gay Panic in the Ozarks. It was about a young gay man who was lynched back in the 60s, and all of the authorities just turned their head and did not investigate it, and uh, they were indifferent to it. And so I wrote that story, and this, that novel ends up with the people uh, in this area where the prejudice occurred getting a second chance to uh, to do the right thing. <clears throat> and then uh, when I got through with that, Alan, I... Uh, got very interested in the issue of eugenics. Uh, this is the uh, the evil notion that got started back early in the 1900s, uh, where mankind could uh, selectively breed human populations, and by doing that, improve uh, the genetic uh, makeup of people. Uh, if that sounds familiar, it's because that's what uh, Hitler did. But Hitler wasn't first. Uh, that got started in America, and some of the uh, most powerful, richest people in the country bought into that idea. Um, and I was, I, I've always been, as I said, concerned and interested in prejudice, and that's that's the ultimate prejudice when you get right down to it. Yeah. And uh, so I, I got interested in that, and... Uh, I wrote a second novel called A Pearl for Kizzy, uh, and this is uh, some stories that I picked up from my childhood uh, in Pocahontas. There used to be uh, people who lived on the river. I mean, they were desperate, poor people. Uh, people in the town looked down on them, called them river rats. Um, this is in the days before the safety nets and food stamps and all of that. And uh, these people struggled. They ate, you know, fish that they caught, and they dug for mussels and sold the shells to the to the uh, button factory. That's how they that's how they made a living. 
and uh, it was hard times. Anyway, I got to know those people when I was a kid growing up. used to play with them. And so my second novel is based on the idea of a little girl who is a river rat who was living with her family on a uh, old ramshackle houseboat down on the river. And um, the story is about how she uh, is a victim of the villain in the story is a guy named Bully Big Shot who was running the eugenics center uh, in this little fictional town that I created. And Bully's uh, corrupt outfit wanted to rid the world of river rats like my character Kizzy uh, through abortion and better breeding. And uh, so the story goes on and on, but um, it's a it's a good history of how this evil idea got started in America, and then carried on into uh, to Germany. And um, so when I finished that book, uh, a lot of people uh, uh, liked it very much, and they came up and asked me, "Whatever happened to that character, the little girl, the river rat girl, Kizzy? Whatever happened to her?" And whatever happened to her husband, whatever happened to some of the other characters in the book, uh, Bertie, the Marine who won the Medal of Honor, they wanted to know what happened to these people. And so I I resisted the idea to, to write a sequel for the longest time. But uh, then uh, I finally, uh, just last year, started uh, my latest book, which is called The Thinking Spot, and it's a it's a sequel to uh, A Pearl for Kizzy, and it's about uh, Kizzy's granddaughter, a uh, little girl I named Cassie Davis and her boyfriend. And uh, they, they face a new challenge that really uh, is very much like the old challenge. It's what to do about designer babies and transhumanism and all these new crazy ideas that are coming up because of our technological ability and because of artificial intelligence and all of that. It's really the beginning of what could be a new era of the old eugenics. And so that's what my latest book is about, uh, The Thinking Spot. And uh, if people look at it online on Amazon, and they see the cover, and they see that the cover sort of tells the whole story. It's a picture of a futuristic man, robotic-looking, holding up the skull of a human being, uh, because it ultimately asks us the question, who's, who's in charge uh, of designing men? And who's in charge of creation? Uh, is it man or is it God? And that's an age-old question. But that's uh, that's the question I try to to present to people in this latest book. People uh, people so far have been reading it and liking it a lot. It's only been out a week, so I would encourage your listeners if you're interested in those kinds of things. Take a look. Well, I appreciate that. So uh, this book is uh, available on Amazon, you said? Yes. And uh, they can get it, uh, you know, at Wordsworth or Barnes & Noble, any of the stores can can order it for them. 
good deal. Well, uh, sounds like a very interesting book. Don't you, Congressman, don't you feel like, and you and I have been around long enough, um, we've seen a few cycles. Uh, don't you find it interesting that, that um, we keep going through some of these same cycles over and over again? I mean, from the 60s to the 70s to, um, to today, um, when, when, is, when are humans going to learn? <laughs> you know, my, I don't know about your kids, but mine, mine heavily resisted uh, learning history in school. And, uh, yeah. you know, you know, they, they make the comments, well, it's already done, Dad. It's, it's you know, let's, let's not think about the past. Well, the, the problem is, I don't know if you find this, but it, it, the problem is if you don't pay attention to the past, you're just going to repeat it over and over again, making the same old mistakes, and, and society as a whole doesn't get any better. Yeah, man, man is very good at making the same mistakes over and over and over again. Um, and, you know, ultimately, uh, the solution to all of this uh, is uh, found in the Bible. And I don't want to be pictured as a holy Joe, but uh, I do believe, and, uh, you know, the commandment uh, that you, you to love your neighbor as yourself. I mean, uh, our preacher on last Sunday talked about the Good Samaritan, and uh, that's a perfect example of someone loving uh, his neighbor as himself. And uh, so that's the answer. And uh, But man uh, keeps thinking that he can, through things like eugenics and rules and regulations, somehow control... Uh, society, and uh, the, the answer is simply for people to do as the Bible teaches, and that's to love their neighbor as yourself. And um, so, to me, that's that's the answer. If you leave it to man, uh, something I remember from my days in the Marine Corps, the drill instructor used to say, "You leave it to man; man can screw up an iron ball." And uh, that's the truth. And uh, so we've got uh, we've got a lot of issues facing us in this country, and uh, we can deal with them. We've dealt yeah. with them before. I've been through a lot of it myself, and and um, I, I remember from my days in the Newark, New Jersey, and the riots in 1967. People today look and think how bad these riots are. In the 67 riots in Newark, 26 people were killed. Oh, my goodness. And that was in six six days. Yeah, yeah. Uh, So. I remember that. That was was a riot. Yeah, yeah, Uh, I I remember that. Yeah, and then uh, then I came home and got involved with Rockefeller, and we were getting rid of all this and all that. So a lot of those experiences uh, have worked their way into my beliefs, and into my way of thinking. And um, so that's what I try to get across to people, and that's why I said at the outset, I write about prejudice and the great American struggle to make the most of our differences. Yes, sir. We're coming up on a break here. We're talking with Congressman Ed Bethune about his new book, The Thinking Spot. Uh, Hold on for us, uh, Congressman. We'll be right back uh, to finish up with uh, Congressman Ed Bethune. Uh, you're listening to um, F- uh, FM 101.1, The Answer. 
Good morning, it's Alan Kerr fitness, uh, sitting in for Dave Ellswick. He's uh, out on personal business today. I am talking on the live line with uh, uh, Congressman Ed Bethune, uh, who's just uh, written a new book called The Thinking Spot. And uh, by the way, if you've missed out on any of the show today, you can always listen to the Dave Ellswick podcast at 1011fmtheanswer.com or rewatch today's show on the 1011fm The Answer Facebook page. Congressman, we got a, uh, just a few minutes here before we go to a, a hard break at the end of the hour. Um, you know, you were you were speaking about uh, um, uh, the theme of the book, and and really the the love your neighbor as you love yourself is is one of the things that it's trying to get across. I'm finding a hard time sometimes finding people that love themselves. Um, I mean, uh, I don't know if that's your experience, uh, but the Nowadays, it seems like they're having a hard time uh, appreciating themselves. Yeah, well, that's uh, what happens when everything seems to be crashing around you. People can get depressed and, uh, you know, they're looking for answers. And uh, I guess my main point that I wish everyone would take away this morning is I'm I'm 84, soon be 85, and uh, I... It took me a long while to understand, thanks to my wife, I finally got to the point where I realized that the answer wasn't within me. It wasn't that man is not the answer, that uh, the answer is God and Jesus Christ. And it took me a long, long time to get that, because I grew up tough in the Marine Corps and all that. Um, And so I... I know that side of the world, and uh, so that that would be. And look, if people, people probably listeners may be thinking, "Oh, it can't happen in this country," you know, nobody's going to do that. Well, it has happened. Uh, everybody's heard of Justice Oliver Wendell Holmes, uh, and generally speaking, they say, "Oh, yeah, he was a real smart man. He was on the U.S. Supreme Court and all that." Well, guess what? He wrote an opinion back in the 30s uh, that uh, upheld compulsory sterilization laws. And he My wrote goodness. in his opinion, he wrote in his opinion, this is Oliver Wendell Holmes, he wrote, it is better for all the world to have these sterilization laws because three generations of imbeciles are enough. Now, <laughs> that was... That was in the United States of America before Hitler. Right. And Hitler saw that, and that's where he got a lot of his ideas, was from these people who were practicing eugenics. And that's why I'm so interested in that issue, because it's coming back now in this new form where people who are uh, saying that through technology and artificial intelligence and all of that, they can make man better, better than he's ever been. Uh, just get out of the way and let them do it. Uh, and, you know, God created us all different. We all have different gifts. And uh, all we have to do to get along is to love one another as we love ourselves. Well, thank you, Congressman. I couldn't agree with you more. Um, we've we've come a long ways, but but... Goodness gracious, we got a long ways to go too. So yeah, we sure don't. We sure don't need to slip back into 
Uh, they can call it whatever they want to, but right. the old eugenics was bad. Let's don't create a new new eugenics uh, I, movement in this country. I couldn't agree more. I'm talking with Congressman Ed Bethune. He's got a new book out called The Thinking Spot, kind of a, a sequel to uh, to one he had written before, uh, Pearl for for. Um, is it was was the name of that book again, Congressman? Pearl for Pearl for Kizzy. Izzy, Pearl right? For Kizzy. Kizzy, yes. Yeah. Um, this one is uh, just out about a week, already doing really well. You can find it on uh, Amazon or any of the booksellers, and uh, get it online. Uh, since a lot of people are still working out of their homes and uh, uh, got some reading time on their hands, the book has come out at a at a really opportune time. Uh, you should sell a lot of them, Congressman. Congressman Ed Bethune, thank you for being with us today, sir. Hope you have a great week. Yes, sir. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. If you've missed out on any of today's show, you can always listen to the Dave Ellswick podcast at 1011fmtheanswer.com or rewatch today's show on the 1011fmtheanswer Facebook page. Just before we go into break, um, we're going to come back with uh, Congressman French Hill and he's going to talk to us about uh, things that are going on in uh, Washington and uh, then how that affects Arkansas. I'm Alan Kerr filling in for Dave Ellswick. We'll see you right after the break. beyond this is alan kerr filling in for dave ellswick who's uh, out on personal business this morning i am uh, previous uh, insurance commissioner for the state of arkansas i am a former state representative uh, justice of the peace i've done a lot of things in my life i've also spent a lot of time running my own business as an insurance agent but today i am filling in for dave ellswick alongside my uh, my soul sister heidi soul Yes, we've we've talked about. She's never heard that before, and uh, um, t- 
trying to run the, the station somewhere close to what Dave would do. Nobody does it better than Dave, but we're doing our best this morning. Um, we will have uh, later on in the morning at 730, we'll have uh, uh, Lieutenant Governor, former Congressman Tim Griffin with us uh, to talk about um, all the things that he's doing. And at the 8 o'clock hour, we're going to have the car and truck guys here so that you can call in and talk about what's going on with your car or your truck, and uh, they can solve those problems, hopefully save you some money. But right now on the live line, we have uh, another congressman, Congressman French Hill. He is um, a congressman of the 2nd Congressional District here in uh, uh, the Little Rock area, Central Arkansas, and uh, is going to talk to us about all the things that he's been doing and all the things going on in Washington and and uh, all the frustration that he's been having to, to deal with as a congressman. Congressman Hill, are you with us this morning? Good morning, Alan. Great to be with you and good to hear your voice, my old friend. Yes, sir. Yeah, Congressman Hill and I go, go back a ways. So, Congressman, uh, uh, let's just jump right in. How are we going to reopen the economy? Well, that's the good news is that our governors are reopening the economy across the country. And you saw that last week with a surprise, a positive surprise, some bright news in a very troubled week when we had two and a half million jobs added in May uh, and the unemployment rate fell. And this was a reversal of March and April's dismal, dismal numbers that have rivaled the Great Depression. So, I think a lot of analysts um, uh, took last week as perhaps the turn where we'll begin to see the economy claw back from the coronavirus. I certainly hope that's the case. And uh, in Congress, uh, the view is let's see if that trend continues, and that will allow us to tailor uh, and look for gaps in what Congress needs to do to help the American business community relaunch well very good uh so uh you feel like we're on the upswing i think we've started that upswing i still got concerns alan about different aspects of our economy like uh, travel uh, is think about the impact on our airlines where they lost uh 95 percent of their business in a week yeah Uh, airline travel got down to 70,000 people a day. A normal day going through TSA is 2 million people are cleared by TSA every day on a typical business day in America, and it got down to 71,000. So I'm worried about our hotel owners and the travel industry, something we have to keep an eye on. Uh, And restaurants can't be profitable, as you know, well know, uh, being a great business person with uh, small uh, occupancy. So right. we have to get the economy open and get people back to work. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, it's not just the airlines. And like you said, the hotels, the airlines, the, the cruise ship industry, uh, they're probably all in dry dock right now. Um, the uh, uh, But the upside is always try to find a positive in that um, when we do start traveling well again, um gas prices are so low it, the airline tickets should be quite a bit less than what they have been yeah the airlines have great specials i mean if you've got something planned for this fall i noticed uh, you can book those flights now at a tremendous uh discount so they're doing everything they can to build business back i've traveled of course because i have to go back to washington to vote 
Uh, people are wearing, <clears throat> people are wearing masks. Uh, they do a fantastic job making people feel comfortable and keeping the cabin clean. And uh, so they're doing a great job. And look, part of the reason we got that two and a half million uh, job rebound last week so encouraging was the fact that uh, the PPP, the Paycheck Protection Program that Congress passed uh, in March as a part of the CARES Act, was a big part of that because it allowed uh, employees to stay connected to their job. And if you look at these jobless claims, and we've got 40 million people across the country have filed a jobless claim, but 80% of those, 80% of those are furloughed, meaning they're working fewer hours or they're just furloughed from an existing job. They were not terminated. They were not laid off. So that also is an encouraging sign that as business reopens, orders are booked, uh, that you can see some of those uh, furloughed workers uh, get back to work. Uh, a great example of the automotive industry said they were reopening plants last week in response to low inventories. And you see that in pockets around the country. So uh, we have to uh, uh, pray for that recovery to continue apace. Yes, sir. I couldn't agree more. Well, I've got a son-in-law in the car business. He, he's a uh, manager of a, a, a new car lot, um, Chevrolet lot. And his biggest issue right now is he's got nothing to sell. Uh, they've right. sold all the cars on their lot. That, that's, uh, you know, they're trying to figure out some way to, to stay in business and uh, keep those incomes coming in um, because the, the, the plants have shut down for a period of time, and they're just now trying to get retooled and, and back up to running again. Um, so it's, it's, it's a struggle. It is a struggle, and that's why it's going to be slow, and that's why I think Congress and the Federal Reserve have to be <clears throat> watching very, very closely if there's some gap that we need to fill the Federal Reserve uh, and the Treasury, again, with Congress's uh, approval back in March, have unprecedented amounts of money that they can spend to support solvent uh, companies and firms that are going to make it through uh, this gap, bridging this. Uh, and I think your example of, of the automotive industry is a classic, uh, bridging that gap between restarting production and people coming back to work and people coming back to the car lot and it's not a permanent condition uh, but people have to sometimes have bridge financing to get over uh, that sort of several week gap between new cars being brought to the lot and people coming back right well yes i i absolutely agree that's just uh um and and i think they have applied for some of that that assistance and and helping them get past that gap well let's um Let's dive into uh, um, the scariest thing I've ever heard of and uh, def- defunding the police. Um, how, does, how does Congress feel about that? Well, there are radical elements uh, in the Democratic Party that um, had taken advantage of what was a horrific uh, murder in Minneapolis, uh-huh. obviously a bad cop, a bad apple, and... You can argue there are too many bad cops across the country, and that may well be, and they all need to be adjudicated uh, in their local jurisdictions. And those police chiefs, police boards, and city councils uh, had uh, held accountable that they have a safe, positive 
uh, policing environment in their local community. Nobody disputes that. And certainly we all recognize the First Amendment right to be out there and protesting for justice and protesting against uh, non-proportionate police brutality and the use of too much force. Absolutely. And we are all standing in solidarity with the ability to safely and peacefully protest. So what's happened is we've had radical elements connected to um, the Democratic Party and left-wing organizations in the country uh, step up and start demanding defunding the police, ending the police departments. And this is a companion argument, Alan, to what you've seen in New York, which is to start letting people out of jail. Oh, my goodness, yes. Not prosecuting people, not prosecuting people for certain kinds of uh, offenses and uh, not making arrests. Uh, And so this toxic environment is spreading across the country, and a lot of naive uh, people are are swept up in this idea of defund the police. What would make minority communities uh, even worse off and less safe? Majority communities worse off, less safe, than to not have uh, good community policing with high-quality officers when we know that 99% of our officers are high-quality work hard, putting themselves at risk every day to protect our communities. Defunding the police would not improve training. Defunding the police uh, would not uh, bring us a safer community. So I think these arguments are way off base and they're, they scare people. Right. Well, I can't see, see a better example of an overreaction. Um, I mean, as a, as a, a legislator, as a uh, insurance commissioner, as you know, a a, um, a regulator, I we see bad actors in every walk of life, in every type of business, whether it's government or it's uh, um, a private sector. There's always somebody who thinks they found a, a loophole that they can exploit to um, to to get what they want, and then there are those folks who just flat out make mistakes. And uh, but but an overreaction doesn't doesn't help anyone. Just um, my observation. I agree uh, completely. We saw this in 2018 with the demand to uh, uh, terminate ICE, the Immigration and Customs Enforcement Agency, get rid of it. We don't right. need that. And yet, since the 19th century, they've attempted to keep Americans safe by removing criminal. Uh, aliens, particularly those with violent felonies, out of the country. It's just a normal law enforcement process. But the far left in this country apparently doesn't believe in strict law enforcement. They want, uh, I don't know what, I actually don't know what the objective is, honestly, besides uh, potential anarchy. Right. So I think every right thinking person <clears throat> needs to look askance at. Uh, things like defund the police, and that doesn't honor uh, George Floyd's memory or the need to get rid of cops that are bad or to improve city council oversight of police departments or find police chiefs that are competent. I heard a a great talk the other night on television, the African-American police chief in Detroit. He just gave a passionate view of uh, that made complete sense to me. You don't defund the police to make people safer. Uh, and you run a police department that doesn't allow bad apples to uh, right. stay in. 
And so that just made complete yeah. sense to me. More of a management and training issue. Well, we're about uh, ready to take a break. Uh, hold on for us, uh, Congressman Hill. We'll be right back. Uh, this is the Dave Ellswick Show. I'm Alan Kerr filling in for Dave. Come right back uh, after the break. Good morning. This is Alan Kerr filling in for Dave Ellswick. Um, and Dave is uh, out today uh, doing some personal business. Um, I'm here with Heidi Soule, my engineer. And um, we have uh, Congressman French Hill, the second congressional district congressman, on the line. Uh, congressman, we were uh, we were talking about the, the recent happenings in in uh, in the country. Uh, is is Congress uh, in session right now? Well, isn't that a good question, Alan? Because <laughs> the House of Representatives under Nancy Pelosi has not really been working for weeks. The Senate, my goodness, uh, has come back and been in regular sessions uh, each week or every other week to consider legislation. But Nancy Pelosi says that we don't have to be in Washington, that it's unsafe. So I, I don't have the guts when I go into Craftco or Home Depot or Kroger or another store or wave at the UPS driver to say, gosh, you guys are out making sure we have food to eat, things delivered to our home, construction done. Uh, and I'm sorry, we're not able to go to Washington to do our job in the House. Uh, she actually jammed through a rule on a Democratic vote that we could declare a quorum through proxy on the House floor to vote, something that's never been done in the history of the country. And I joined a lawsuit in federal court in Washington opposed to this because in the Constitution, in Article One. Why each house gets to make its own rules, and each house gets to determine uh, what constitutes a quorum. It was clear in the Constitution that uh, the founders wanted the, the the members to assemble, to be present physically in the House chamber to conduct business. Well, it sounds like to me she's just kind of making stuff up as she goes along to uh, to suit her own her own schedule. <laughs> Um, well, she can't keep it. I mean, yesterday she said we or last week we weren't going to be in session during June uh, until June 30th. She thought it was safe then. Then we got an email yesterday saying, no, 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 we're back in session on June 23rd and we're going to be in session on June 29th. So uh, we don't know what kind of leadership we get from the House Democrats other than disorganized and unfocused. Uh and that's, I guess, par for the course. But it's frustrating to all of us who want to be collaborating with our colleagues. And you can't do it on a Zoom meeting. You can't do this over a telephone. You've been a legislature. Right. You know how important it is to collaborate with your colleagues. And some of that's done informally uh, yes. in the in the aisles of the House chamber or in the committee work or right. in the hallway or over a sandwich. And right. that's really deteriorated under nancy pelosi's leadership well i've i've always noticed that there's more legislation decided over lunch than than over committee so uh yeah i know exactly what you mean well i mean she's had time to uh to go to 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 rallies and 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 things like that um i, I just you know uh, very she disappointed yeah she she's she's quick to condemn uh that we can't go work safely in the house with the best staff and the best physicians and the best Capitol Police in the world, 
but she will go down and stand in a rally full of people without with with no masks on. She has a mask on, but surrounded by people with uh, without masks that are putting the country at risk. If you follow her uh, logic, uh, so uh, it, it's very frustrating. Uh, there are 435 members in the House of Representatives. And we can't all divide up into small little text groups and try to collaborate that way. It's right. completely impractical. I completely understand. Well, uh, thank you, uh, Congressman French Hill. Uh, this is Congressman French Hill, the 2nd District of Arkansas, doing a fantastic job. Thank you, Congressman, for being on the show today. Alan, thanks for having me. Thanks for your absolute outstanding public service as a JP, as a House member, as our insurance commissioner. Thanks for filling in for our good friend Dave, and we'll see you soon. Yes, sir. Thank you. Uh, this is Alan Kerr filling in for Dave Ellswick. If you've missed any of the show today, you can always go to listen to Dave Ellswick's show podcast at 1011fmtheanswer.com, or we watch today's show on the 1011fm The Answer Facebook page. We are uh, going to take a uh, a break for the news and uh, traffic and stay tuned we've got tim griffin coming on the next half hour good morning uh little rock this is alan kerr filling in for dave ellswick uh, while he takes care of some personal business i am a uh, former state representative former insurance commissioner former justice of the peace and i'm back into the public sector now uh, but um, um here filling in for dave ellswick uh, while he's uh, while he's out, you know one of the top stories uh, this morning is uh, Cracker Barrel adding alcohol to its menu. And uh, I was talking to my my uh, uh, engineer here, Heidi, this morning. Uh, the next thing you know, they're going to have uh, margaritas at, at Chick Fil A. You know what else? What what <laughs> what's going to happen next? Uh, stay tuned today. We're going to have uh, the car and truck guys coming in at the 8 o'clock hour to talk to you about your um, your car, your car repairs, and all the things going on with your vehicle. Right now, uh, we've got uh, Lieutenant Governor Tim Griffin, also a former congressman. I met Tim uh, years ago before either one of us actually got into politics, but we're thinking about it. I met him at – I remember a meeting that I had with him at uh, – uh, Starbucks, and I think we were sitting there trying to talk each other out of getting into politics, but uh, it didn't take. We both jumped in. So, uh, good morning, uh, good morning, Lieutenant Governor. How are you today? Good morning. I am. Uh, I'm hanging in there. I'm doing well. Uh, it's it's good to hear you taking on another job. Add it to your hundreds of different uh, talents. <laughs> And I appreciate uh, you. You do have a you, Dave. Better um, he better watch out because you do have a voice for radio. Yeah, you have that radio voice. Yeah, you have that radio. I appreciate that. that. I appreciate that. Yeah. My, I don't, my wife I don't tells me that all me. the time. <laughs> I don't. Re- I, I, I don't remember you. Um, I don't remember that meeting at Starbucks, but uh, uh, I'm sure that was a long, long time ago. And I want to clarify, I was real involved in politics. I just hadn't been on the ballot. Ah, there you go. Uh, if I if I remember correctly, but uh, well, this was anyway, way before sure you were we married or younger. way before you were married or had children. So you know, you had oh, lots of free goodness. time. That's why <laughs> I had lots of free time. I had lots of hair, and I had lots of brown hair. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which I don't have anymore. 
<laughs> oh, good. Well, look. Well, there's this a, is there's a there's a yeah there's a lot to talk about uh, today. So uh, where, where do you want to where do you want to jump in? Gosh. Well, I'm going to leave uh, that up to the dealer here. Uh, where would you like to jump in? Looks like uh, well, school choice know, is is high on your list. <clears throat> well, yeah. So uh, look, I think. There's several things I'd like to uh, talk about. Uh, uh, school choice, uh, the First Amendment. I think it's really important as we go through uh, these times that we keep an eye on protecting the First Amendment and the ability to express ourselves. Yeah. Luck, uh, fortunately, the Constitution guarantees a lot of that regardless of what, what people might uh, want, want to say or do. And uh, so let me, let me dive right in uh, first on, on on school choice. You know, one of the things that the pandemic has demonstrated for parents, and I'm a, I'm a parent of three young children, two of which are in school, is the fact that we count on our schools to provide structure, and to educate, and we've been able to see a lot of the inner workings from our home during this pandemic because a lot of parents had to had to step up and, and sort of manage, at a minimum, manage that process. But what a lot of parents have seen uh, talking to other parents is, is maybe their child got a little different educational experience during the pandemic than some other child. And I think it just uh, emphasizes for us once again how important it is that parents be able to shop around and make choices when it comes to where and how their children are educated. And, you know, it's interesting. If I told you you could only shop in the stores in the district where you live, or you could only go to the university in the district where you live. You would say that's un-American. That's ridiculous. How can you limit my choices that way? But with regard to education, we do that every day. We absolutely do that every day. Now, we've made progress on the public choice side of things where people have some degree of choice as to which public school their children uh, can attend, but we still don't have the sort of choice that other states have had for a decade, two decades, uh, where they have benefited from parents voting with their feet, deciding they wanted to go here or there. And I think it's really important we continue to talk about this issue uh, and this pandemic highlights the fact that parents parents certainly aren't perfect. I'm not perfect as a parent, but parents have the responsibility for, before God for their kids and ought to be making the decision as to where and how their children are uh, are educated. And so I, I think you know, next year we'll be going into another legislative uh, session in the General Assembly, and I think that uh, the topic of individual choices for parents uh, for their kids' education uh, needs to be front and center once again. And, and I am, I am, I believe that it will be. 
I believe that uh, ultimately the issue of choice is going to win out. Um, and I know uh, uh, I, I know that I've, be, I've even got a two-year-old, believe it or not, and we'll be <laughs> making those same choice decisions, you yeah. know, as, as we go forward. And I tell people, I make I make I exercise school choice every day. People that are able to put their children in this school or that school. Uh, they're exercising school choice every day. The only people who don't get to exercise school choice are the people who don't have the means to do that. So um, I don't know if you have any thoughts on that issue, but I believe that this will continue to be, to, to be an issue until we make more progress on it. Well, absolutely. And, and you know, if the last few months have taught us anything – it's that uh, there's more than one way to educate a child uh, other than cramming That's them exactly all into right. a, um, a, a gigantic building and, and, you know, trying to hold their attention. Um, now, you know, all, all forms of education should be available to parents uh, regardless of what that is. Your child, uh, children earn, learn at, at different levels, at different paces, and, um, you know, one size fits all. Uh, that we've had over the last several decades is is um, going to go by the wayside because um, um, it's you know it's it's not not as safe as it used to be and it's not uh, as effective as it used to be. Now, uh, saying that, my my daughter, who I got a couple of my grandkids with my oldest daughter, she sent me a text the other day and said, uh, "Well, this is the time of year I normally find out who my my child's teacher is going to be next year." And it kind of paused there, and it says, "I'm just praying it's not me again." So, <laughs> well, I, I, I will say, uh, yeah, I will say there was a study out that uh, indicated a lot of the, not all, uh, and I certainly believe that uh, that my children uh, got uh, pretty good uh, education uh, at home, uh, <laughs> even with imperfect me. Um, uh, uh, being the teacher, but there is some, there is some data to indicate that nationally, by and large, the online experiment at home, because we didn't have a lot of ramp up time and, and training and, and et cetera, that generally speaking, it, it, it was not a success according to some of the, the data. Uh, but, but I will say this, you, you hit the nail on the head. There are a lot of different ways to educate uh, young uh, children, uh, whether it be in a pu- traditional public school, uh, a charter school, which is a public school, a private school, parochial school, uh, homeschooling. You know, homeschooling right. children represent, if you put them all together in the state, uh, the biggest school district in the state. And if you look at the outcomes for homeschooled children, uh, they're absolutely outstanding and, and always at or near the top. Uh, so I think the general recognition that cookie cutter does not apply to children is is a good one. The other thing I wanted to mention uh, on the education side is, and, and, and if we don't address this more and do more in this area, it'll make at-home learning uh, uh, more and more difficult. And that is the issue of illiteracy. We have a we don't just have a problem with illiteracy uh, in our schools in Arkansas. We have an emergency. Mm. We really do. We have 
third or more uh, of our students can be up to the 40s and even higher, depending on the school, a significant, significant percentage of children in any in any particular grade who just can't read. And, um, you know, this is an ongoing problem. There are certainly things that have been done to address it over the years with mixed uh, with mixed outcomes. Some of the things have been more effective than others. But I believe it's a true emergency. We need to say it's an emergency. We need to continue to work on workforce training and all these other things to grow the economy. But if we don't, if we have people that can't even read, right? Then that fundamental building block makes everything else impossible. You know, I've thought a lot of. We've heard a lot of, about uh, the older rate of promise that that pays for college and all, right? Uh, and it's an outstanding thing they do down there. But I thought about taking that that phrase of a promise, an Arkansas promise, and and just just tell people directly that we all we all must uh, recognize that we owe students, no matter their culture, no matter their economic status, no matter their residence, we all need to recognize that we owe them an Arkansas promise. And that is the promise that every student, unless they've got some kind of um, uh, intellectual disability that precludes it, but all students should be able to read uh, at grade level by the end of the fourth grade, period. We can't say that, and uh, and certainly there would be individuals that uh, have intellectual disabilities that, that, that weren't able to do that. But as a general matter, we ought to have a promise, an Arkansas promise, that regardless of the background of students, they are able to read at level by the end of the fourth grade. We have to achieve that sort of fundamental um, point because you can't do anything else, really, uh, in terms of your education and in terms of progressing the way we want you to in society if you can't read. And this is a huge, huge problem. Um, you know, I, I think that each Arkansas student, I think the state spend, state and local spend like $150,000 on each Arkansas student as they go through their uh, school career. And the fact that we've got people coming out the other end of that system who can't read is just a travesty. And so yeah. we've got to double down on that. Um, so it's something else I wanted to mention. I, if, if, did you want to comment on that? I know you you were in the legislature there were things just like there always is. Well, yeah, I mean, it, it, the, the bottom line is um, I, I think people ought to be able to, you know, they pay their taxes for uh, that education. I think they ought to be able to take those tax dollars and put them where they, where where it helps their children the most. Um, you know, right. the, the monopolies of public schools uh, being in that, that, that government-funding business is, is uh, starting to show stress. And uh, uh, we we need to be able to the people need to be able to take those tax dollars and and go where it it best suits their children. Yeah, well, you, getting back to uh, parents know best. Look, I, I, I referred to it earlier. My I have one child that goes to Little Rock Public School, and I have another child that does not. 
And so every day I make that choice. My, my right. wife and I, we make that choice together. Um, I know there's so much to, to get to here, but I did want to talk a little bit about. Um, okay. Speak. But go ahead. You got to get a break. Yeah, we got to get a break in. We'll we'll pick that up and hit your other subject. Just the other side of the break. Uh, this is Alan Kerr filling in for Dave Ellswick with uh, uh, Lieutenant Governor Tim Griffin. We'll be right back after these messages. Good morning. This is Alan Kerr filling in for Dave Ellswick. I'm uh, on the live line with um, uh, Lieutenant Governor Tim Griffin. And uh, Tim, you uh, you were talking about uh, school choice and all those things that are entailed there. Yes, and I, I, I wanted to get in the last few minutes, I wanted to mention a couple other things, if, if I could. Absolutely. Uh, first of all, on the cut, the op-ed that Tom Cotton wrote in the New York Times, you know, regardless of how you feel about what he wrote, whether you're a, a liberal, conservative, whether you like what he wrote or not, it just boggles my mind that, People who work at the New York Times, supposedly enlightened, educated people, are they protested free speech on their pages, which is exactly <laughs> what the opinion page is for. I know. It's not for opinions <laughs> with which you agree. It's it's just ridiculous. Right. And obviously that's not it's not government action, uh, but it's still ludicrous. Yeah, that they felt that way. The other thing I wanted to mention is, you know, dialogue about how we can make the country better with regard to uh, um, the situation that's been going on with George Floyd and, and the protests and all. Right. Dialogue is a is an excellent thing. It, it's exactly what this country is all about, and we ought to always be looking for ways uh, to make our country better, to reform. Uh, and and find find the answers to some of these questions that are that are driving this debate. But but let me tell you what hurts the ability for everybody to find the right answers, and that is the the folks on the extreme. You've got these pe- people talking about defunding the police. Well, this is not a new concept. This is a this is a new version of the abolish ice concept right Right, right. we heard about they didn't like something that somebody in an agency did so you want to get rid of the agency and then now they didn't like uh because of the tragedy with george floyd and it is a tragedy and there's no question there there are there are bad apples uh in every organization but because of that instead of recognizing as it is which is a which is an exception. Right. Uh, it's not does not represent uh, most law enforcement, obviously. Then now they want to defund the police. Now, now let me follow the logic here. They want to abolish ICE. They want to defund the police. But these are the same people that believe only the police should have guns. <laughs> what? I mean, this is yeah. this is this is unbelievable. Yeah. And and here's the problem: that sort of conversation is so outside any reasonable conversation. It is so absurd. It is so ridiculous. It it's not even there's not even a place at the table for that kind of conversation. Look, I've been a prosecutor. Uh, in the Army. I've been in the Army for 24 years. 
we respect and honor our service members every day. Does that mean there's never been a soldier who did things wrong? Of course not. I've prosecuted soldiers. In fact, I've prosecuted soldiers who are still in jail for attempted murder. But we don't, we know that that's not the average soldier. We know that that does not represent our armed forces. And it would be ludicrous. It would be absurd. It would be really a waste of time to even discuss a proposal that said, well, there was a bad soldier. We should get rid of the army. It's ridiculous. Yeah. Absolutely ridiculous. But that is the sort of nonsense that that hampers, doesn't help. It hampers the progress. Uh, And so I wanted to make sure that that I mentioned that that any you have any comment on well, that? I assume yeah, you I agree mean, with that. Yeah, I do. And and you know, it's always a knee jerk reaction. We always go too far. Uh, in in my jobs as a regulator, and there's always somebody out there doing things that that they think that they've found a a new way to make a new buck, and that nobody has ever thought of. Yes, they've thought of it. Just they don't do it because it's dishonest. The uh, but you don't do away with the entire business because of it. So, you know, um, it's uh, yeah. it, it's 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 too far the wrong direction. And and I, I dare them to go one week without a police force in any city in America. Oh, it's ridiculous. Yeah, yeah. Well, well we've got uh, we got about thirty seconds here, uh, Lieutenant Governor. Yeah. Well, I just wanted to thank you for for having having me on. Uh, I would emphasize that that perspective we just discussed, that that doesn't even belong at the table. That's so ridiculous. That is so ridiculous uh, that, um, and and it hurts the progress. I want to mention, you've got got other ridiculous things going on. You've got Cox Stable getting rid of the show Cops that have been on for decades. Yeah, and now I'm I'm told that Oscar winning Gone with the Wind is no longer right. available in the HBO yeah. library. I mean, co- this ridiculous. Is, this anyway, is Alan Kerr. Uh, we've we've been with uh, Lieutenant you, Governor Tim Griffin. We appreciate you, sir. We're gonna go to a break and see you right after uh, these messages. This is Alan Kerr filling in for Dave Ellswick, who is out taking care of some personal business. Uh, we are here this morning with the truck, I mean, uh, the the car and truck doctors. Yes, sir. Uh, got Duck and Joe in here, and uh, we're going to talk about uh, vehicles. I'm a car guy, always have been, and uh, have worked on my own vehicles. Uh, the operative word is used to. Yeah. Uh, before I needed a a computer degree in order to do it, so I'm <laughs> yes. I, I'm from back the days when uh, when everything was mechanical and and uh, um, I remember the words of my dad when I started working on lawnmower engines in the backyard. He said it's it's pretty simple if 
if it doesn't, it, there's only three things that an engine needs. It needs air, it needs fuel, and it needs spark. Yep. And if you can and figure out how to make all those three things work together, you got an engine. Today, that ain't right. <laughs> no, sir, it's not. We're, we're very, very way above that. Man. Yeah. So and, uh, and it's coming. They're not even going to have camshafts no more. No kidding. They're going to have electric cylinders work each valve. No kidding. Yeah, it's already out testing now. Yep. Wow. Okay. Well, Solenoid operated engine. Open and let the fuel and air in and close and let the combustion come up on it and then fire it. And then after it fires, a solenoid open, exit the exhaust gases. Wow. Okay. Well, y'all been to school, hadn't you? Well, we, we go regularly. <laughs> I bet you do. I bet you do. And we uh, learn regularly. Yeah. Yes. Well, let's hope so. Um, my goodness. Well, I mean, uh, we were talking off, off air just before we started here um about uh insurance since i've been former insurance commissioner yes, you had a couple of questions and yes, uh, we're talking about uh unfortunately some of the the riot the civil commotion that's uh been going on and what was your question well I, you know i have a waiting room there at, the, at my shop and of course with the covid19 and then the <laughs> pandemic and then everybody's you know they're stuck at home watching tv and then we unfortunately the events of uh what transpired with the protests and mm-hmm. the looting that went on right everybody's seeing that on tv cars being burned and right. buildings burned and stuff like that and several of my customers just generally asked said yo you got 70 cars on this lot and what would happen if they looters got in here and tore your business up and i said well my business would be covered under my insurance but correct. the cars fall under my uh garage liability correct my umbrella for that and i say you know that is a very good question i do not know if my insurance if i have coverage for looting and rioting right so my question to you would be is that normal or whose coverage would be under the owner's insurance company or mine because it's at my place but it didn't wasn't in my it's in my care and custody right and i'm taking care of it but if that event was to happen out of my control, is my insurance liable for that, or is the owner's insurance liable? Well, it's a good question, and, and let's let's answer that. We'll start back with let's say you park your car on the on Capitol out here, mm-hmm. and uh, somebody busted the windows out, or spray painted it, or mm-hmm. something along those lines. Um, your car insurance, if you've got comp and collision, mm-hmm. uh, the comp would would. Uh, uh, is considered vandalism. Yeah. Okay. And that would be covered under, mm-hmm. under that auto insurance. Um, as far as your business goes, um, the, the building itself, of course, would be covered under your, your building coverage. Uh, just, just like your home would or anything like that for the, the heading is riot and civil commotion. But your garage liability can be written several different ways. Mm-hmm. Um, as I mentioned off air, if I was writing your your garage liability, I would make sure that your insurance policy took care of uh, the vehicles um, that are on your lot in your care, custody, and control with by your insurance policy. But there are policies out there, and I don't want the listeners to think that there's just one size fits all. There are policies out there, and some agents will write these in order to compete with the other ones um, to where um, <clears throat> that uh, vehicle damage whether it's uh, riot or hailstorm or anything else, is going to fall under uh, the owner's car insurance, that comp mm-hmm. coverage. Now, if they don't have comp coverage, then they're, they're out of luck. Out of luck. But uh, 
their comprehensive coverage would cover that. Their deductible would apply and so forth. Now, um, uh, your garage liability, um, you it, uh, you also have taken consideration that if you got 70 cars on your lot, mm-hmm. is that a lot of times their policies are written where you have a deductible per vehicle. I do. Okay. Is there a maximum vehicle number? No. On there. Per, so per so if it's $100 per vehicle or 250 per vehicle or something like that, okay, 500000 per vehicle. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. Um, then uh, um, whew, you need to talk to my wife about your auto, your your garage liability. That's that's a big deductible. Um, well, we're trying to keep the rates low. Trying to keep the rates down, and I understand that. <laughs> so uh, we're yeah, My nothing. wife still runs an insurance agency. Yes, yes, so, uh, But the, the bottom line is it's all in how it's written. Yeah. You know, okay. um, a good agent will will write that policy to where um, your insurance covers that vehicle in your care, custody, and control because those are return customers. We Absolutely. want them to come back. Yeah, yeah. And if they're having to pay off their insurance policy and their insurance goes up because of something happens at your shop, mm-hmm. they're less likely to leave it there again. Well, so I agree with you. Yeah. There so, was, you know, just a general question, because I haven't talked to my agent about it. And really, you know, a lot of the policies you get, they're they're just they're 100 pages thick. And you got to oh, yeah. go through this, this, yeah. this and this anyway. And I was just curious. And my customers had asked me, what about my car if it's here in the Luton riot? Right. So anyway. Yeah. I'm uh, betting. I'm, And of course, I'm not going to have you mentioned over the air, but I'm, I'm betting that your your uh, policy is is written properly. Yeah, I have a good agent. Yeah, he's, he's a good guy. Good deal. Yeah. OK, well, let's uh, let's talk about uh, car repair while we're here. OK, well, you started off with you used to work on your own. Yeah, I did. <laughs> yeah, well. that was back in the dark ages, Joe, uh, when when. When things weren't weren't uh, weren't computerized, and uh, I used to rebuild '66 uh, through '70 uh, model Mustangs. All right, used to build them from rebuild model. them from frame up. Yeah. So uh, you know, I can I can uh, or used to be able to. Uh, well, you know what, righty tidy lefty Lucy is. You can have <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. That's it. That's it. <clears throat> um, but uh, when the kids started being born, I had to give all that up. I got you. <laughs> had, to, had to give other that up and to do start with your time. Go 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 do other things with my time, make yeah. more money. But uh, <clears throat> yeah, um, I'm I'm still a, a kind of a jack of all trades. Um, That's but, good. Uh, uh, if I can re- replace it on a car, if I can fix it on a car, I will. But that's simple things nowadays. You know, headlights and sure. you know uh, until you like get that. in one of these new <clears throat> headlights. Oh yeah, yeah. My son had a Chevrolet that you had to take the front end off of it just to change the dadgum headlights. Yeah, that was ridiculous. You know, we we remember a time in in the garage business. We've been doing this for forty years a piece, yeah. just about. But guy, you know, here in the past ten years, you'll get a phone call. Give me an estimate for replacing a headlight bulb. Now, you know, you would think years past. Well, that's a ten minute job. Yeah, not anymore. That well, could I mean, be two or three hundred dollar job just to pull the bumper cover off to get access to the bulb. Yeah, yeah. And some of these bulbs with these HID light assemblies are hundred and thirty, forty, fifty dollars a piece. Right. So we're like, you know, if you're going to, they were both born at the same time. If you're going to do one, do them both while we're in Absolutely. there. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so, you know, you could get a three, four, five hundred dollar estimate to put two headlight bulbs in. Right. It's just absolutely crazy. Right. And, and by the way, for listeners out there, don't don't just change one radiator hose, change them both. And they're born at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. They're all <laughs> because, the same age. Yeah. Because uh, 
when you replace one, it puts more pressure on the weaker one, and it will blow in the next week. I promise you. Well, you know, that there's a lot of things that are like that wheel-bearing hub assemblies. Yeah. Uh, today's cars, they don't have a lot of items maintenanceable like years mm-hmm. past where you could pack the wheel bearings and replace the seals and put it back. Crazy and tie right ends and stuff like that. And, oh, yeah. that's gone. And, yeah. and and so you have to remember, so I got a wheel bearing that's roaring and making noise. Well, let me fix that one. Right. But you got three more on the car, and there's a good chance that they're going to fail in the near future, too, because they're all the same age. Right. Well, guess what Freightliner's doing now? What's that? Front wheels on 18-wheelers mm-hmm. are hub bearings now. Yep. It, it's a oh, no. fourteen hundred dollars for one of them. Oh my gosh! It, it's it's all about they can build it and it goes down the assembly line and they can put it together quicker and easier and it and and naturally you have to remember they sell the parts. Yeah, I, I mean it, it's <laughs> exactly. it's kind of like I use the uh, um, the the razor uh, point of view. I mean it, it's they almost give you the handles away for free. That's correct. But they charge you an arm and a leg for the blades. Yeah, that's right. So it's kind of like so, this thing. Yeah. Check my blood sugar. Yeah, these are twenty five dollars, but these things, the patches, are sixty five dollars. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean that just they they get you going. It's I call it the Bill Gates form of business. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you build it so it breaks so that you have to sell them more software. Yes. Well, it, it kind of it does help a little bit if you were a do-it-yourselfer because yeah. you could unbolt and bolt the hub assembly up. Uh, of course, you know now they did come out with a few things there. Well, let's use <laughs> torque bolts on this. Yeah. Torx head, so or star head, and it takes a special tool to do that. And the average person doesn't have that, and you have to go buy that. And then the torque on some of these bolts is real crazy. And, of course, originally it was assembled, and, and a lot of the new hub assemblies come with bolts that have uh, Loctite already on them, so you, re- you put new bolts in there. But the old bolts to come out are extremely hard to get out because they have Loctite on them. Yeah. And they're built that way from the factory. Yeah. So they, they made it easier in one sense, but then they made it harder to disassemble and assemble back. Right. So it's it's different world we live in today. Yeah, it is. It it's, is. It's kind of like a 6.6 six Duramax. It takes 6,000 pounds of fuel pressure to make it start. It will not turn the injectors on until it reaches 1,888 pounds. Wow. Then it tells it tells the pump, pumps is three-stage pump. One stage starts it. Mm-hmm. And when it reaches 1,888 pounds, it says, okay, I'm alive now. Let the other, three, other two pumps come on and turn the injectors on. Mm. And you try and explain that to somebody, this is why your vehicle won't start because it won't make 1,888 pounds. It takes that before the computer recognizes anything else. Yeah. Goodness gracious. That That's up today's world. That was, what, years ago? It was uh, 600 pounds to crank. Wide open throttle was 25, 2,700. 20, yeah, 25 to Today 27. Today it's 1,800 to start and wide open throttle is, what, 35,000? Yeah. Some of them nowadays are running 40. Oh, my it God. 40,000 pounds of pressure. pressure. Yes. It takes 6,000 pounds for it to even idle. Or to start an idle. Oh my gosh! Yeah. Then you run down the road and you stick your foot in it. And it, and I have seen it bounce up to forty five. If somebody's put a programmer in it, boost it up a little bit. Yeah. yeah. Wow. It take on average is thirty six thousand pounds running down the road at seventy mile an hour. If you had that injector and that spray and the fuel sprayed out of the end of that at that kind of pressure, and you had your finger up, it cut tip your finger. Plumb. I was going to say it. Be it, gone. It shear it off. That's correct. Yeah. That's that's one of the. When you go to school, that's one of the things they tell you. Do not break a fuel line loose with a motor running. 
Uh, no. Because it'll, it'll cut your finger <laughs> off. That fuel is under such high pressure when it goes into that motor. There's no liquid goes in there. It's already automized before it's even pulled. Yeah, in I was going to say it's yeah. all it's all vapor. That's it, and it comes out in a swirl pattern. Yeah, it's got uh, like on a six six Duramax has eight holes, and it swirls it as it goes down into the yeah. cylinder. Oh, I miss Holly carbs. Yeah. <laughs> hey, Holly makes a system four barrel fuel Holly, Holly. Just yeah. you couldn't beat them. Yeah. <clears throat> I know we we we. At, at my place, Joe's Garage over on Crippen, we still yeah. work on some older vehicles. I've got one gentleman, Joe Crippen, that works for me. He's uh, He still builds carburetors for yeah. hot rodders. Uh-huh. And uh, we, we get a big call for that, especially from up the street at the uh, uh, speed shop up the street, right up the street from right. us. And those guys, if anybody calls, say, oh, I need a carburetor built. They say, well, you need to go down the street because there's not a lot of old school guys left. Ain't many who's left that can build one yeah. of them. That's correct. I got guys in my shop. <clears throat> That have worked for me for over twenty years have never worked on a carbureted engine. Oh my goodness! In their life. Wow. Well, we got to get to a break here pretty quick. Uh, I'm Alan Kerr filling in for Dave Ellswick. Uh, I think this is going to be the end of my of my hosting here. I've got to <laughs> run to work and make a, make, <laughs> a living. make a living. Yeah. yeah. Work. But, what uh, is that? Really, yeah. What's that? Uh, I really enjoyed being here. And uh, Joe and Duck are going to come back after the break and talk about some of the uh, the questions that they've gotten on the Internet sure. and try to answer some questions. I'm Alan Kirk in for Dave Ellswick. Have a great day. Good morning. We're back here at the radio show. Dave is off, but done taking care of some personal business this morning. This is Duck, and we got Joe in the studio. We're going to talk about bumper to bumper this morning. So yeah. So, Joe, go ahead with Bumper to Bumper. Well, you know, Doug, everybody knows that and listens to this show regularly that we are Bumper to Bumper certified service centers. And, and the car and truck doctors, guys, there's a eight or ten shops here in the central Arkansas area. I ain't going to get in naming them all right now. but I can't ever remember them. <laughs> we're, we're all quality automotive repair shops, and, and we all buy parts from the same place, which is Bumper to Bumper. And we offer a two-year, 24,000-mile warranty. And, and, you know, the best thing I can say about us is the parts are here. They're available. Even with the, uh, I guess you would call the shipping slow and slow down, it's good to have a warehouse here local that's got a, a, a ton of parts in it. So and 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 you know we're still dealing with some of that struggles of the COVID nineteen the shipping problems and, and yes. it's going to go on for a while it's not going to be corrected so but it does help to have a big partner on our side like bumper to bumper and them to help us to keep our customers happy by getting those parts in a timely manner doesn't it yeah and and another thing too Joe they've got a warehouse out there that is humongous and it is full of parts and I ain't gonna say they got everything. But they keep eighty nine to ninety percent of the stuff that we need day to day operation. Yep, they, they have it in stock. They do a fantastic job, and uh, you know our little motto is uh, at the bumper to bumper certified service centers. We don't work on cars and trucks; we fix cars <laughs> yep. and trucks. We repair them and make them run again. That's correct because we don't guess; we test, and and that's the deal right there. And, and you know, man, you was talking earlier. I ordered a truck axle from a guy out of. Out of, out of Georgia, just mm-hmm. south of Atlanta. Yep. The oldest one in the United States, a new one. Mm-hmm. FedEx lost it. <laughs> it. Three weeks later, it shows up at my shop. Yep. And I paid 120 something dollars overnight freight. Yep. You know, it, it is, you know, it's no one's fault. It's just something that happens. And, you know, if it would have been something I could have went and bought another one the next day, it wouldn't have been too bad. But then it took me. 
three days to find a used one and i finally found it in oklahoma yeah and the guy and the guy had to go pull it and get it shipped to me you know but that's some of the problem we're running to right now is a lot of the manufacturers are not working so stuff's not being made that and the shipping uh I, I, you know they're they're working i guess shorthanded it's it gets lost in shipment or it gets sitting somewhere for too long and delayed and yep and and the worst part about it, just like you said, you paid hundred twenty three dollars for overnight, and you ain't gonna get a nickel back, Duck. I know. I'm, I ain't gonna you know, give your money back. You know, the guy refunded me money for the axle because I called him and told him, "Hey, your axle just showed up." Yeah. So I shipped it back yesterday. But but there again, I'm I'm out the money. I had to pay two shipping costs: one from Oklahoma and one from Georgia. So you know, worst part about that is you had to contend with your customer. Why is my truck not ready? Exactly. You know, I had to explain to him, hey, you know. Because he knew was having difficult finding axle. Then when I told him, I say I found one. I have it in the morning. And then, you know, I tracked it and FedEx said it was in Little Rock being delivered, but nobody could ever put their hand on it. And it, like I say, three weeks later, it showed up at the shop. So logistics are a deal just like that. When you say, well, I have it in the morning. I'll go ahead and pull that truck in there and get that axle out and have it sitting there waiting. And, and then the axle don't show up and you got it tore down. It's in your yeah. way. You can't move it. It's exactly. just stuck there. So it. it it it's not always what goes wrong is not always our fault no but we have to contend with it every day contend with the customer being upset and contend with the the way it has changed the shop the way it's going to work until that truck is fixed and out of the way yeah until the guys got tough and this was a logging truck and you know at the time the sun was shining and the yard you know the ground had dried out and he was needing to work and i and yeah and as you know and we and i know we understand that you know when you need your truck to work but it's it's out of my control i've done you know i had hours on the phone just just to find it yeah you know and well heavy duty stuff is a little bit harder to find than some of the uh, regular passenger cars and trucks you know uh, bumper to bumper does a fantastic job with us if we have something yeah. like that they'll they'll actually hunt it down for us sometimes say well i found it for you here's yeah. here's who you need to call to get it yeah and, and it, it helps us a bunch yeah and you know and then like i say i probably had four or five hours on the phone i went from california mm-hmm. to ca- canada to all the way down in the southern part of texas people that i know uh and you give them the part number and they say nope yeah you know but this you know bumper to bumper is our is our supplier and they do a wonderful job of taking care of us yep a fantastic job you know, so, but, you know, there's all kind of certified centers around the United States. And, you know, um, if you have problems and one of us work on your vehicle and you're in California, you can dial a number and they will get you took care of. Yeah, 1-800 number and, and they'll get it handled. Yeah, they will get you took care of without any problem. Uh, you know, it's it's nice to work with people that you can depend on. It is. It's what we got to have in today's world. Today's world, you know, and and computer systems on vehicles and stuff it's 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 unreal what it takes to make a vehicle run nowadays well just the diagnostic equipment uh you know it's just expensive we're going to take a short break and we'll be back right after the news thank you good morning we're back here at the truck and doctor show here with dave dave's off taking care of some personal business this morning if you got a question you'd ask to ask me and joe dial 501-823-0965 and we'll get your question on there heidi will answer the phone and talk to you she'll take good care of you then we'll see what we can do to help you you know joe was talking about the bumper to bumper deal 
we got some questions here that people come in on us. Sure. And I didn't bring my glasses in, so. I read them. Guess what? <laughs> well, let's start with the uh, Nicole. This is a common issue, and I wanted to start with it because it'll give us an opportunity to talk back and forth about this one. It's got a uh, 2014 GMC Sierra, and uh, she said her check engine light came on. And it is, uh, and she took it to the dealership, and and they checked it, and they said that it has got a um, code in it for oil pressure. And they explained it to her that the uh, oil pump check valve had stuck, but it's unstuck now, and she has oil pressure again, but the light's on. She was wanting to know what should she do on this to test it and all that, and and is she getting the right information? And you know as well as I do the. The oil sending units on those things are horrible. I don't. Yep. Have, it doesn't give us the mileage on this. But 2014, I bet it's got 150, 200,000 miles on it. At least somewhere between 100 and 150. And the biggest problem with these engines is is they have a uh, screen that goes underneath the oil sending unit where it comes up to the active fuel management solenoids. And and what we see a lot of times is the sending unit is the defective part because it's not getting enough pressure. And when we put that sending unit in, we usually pull that screen out of there and replace and, that screen. And replace it, yeah. Clean, so, clean it up and replace it. I think that's probably what should have been done to this. And, uh, it, and you know, you can, you can do an oil pressure test on one of these engines two ways. You can pull that sending unit out and do it right there. Or you can actually... Take the oil filter off, and then make an adapter that screws on screws there, on the bottom and, of it. and then you can run your gauge off that to see what it is. But I'd be willing to bet, being it's on and off, on and off, that it's probably an oil sending unit that's the issue. What do you think? I'd lay the odds it is, too. And, and don't just stick a sending unit in it. Go ahead and pull it and clean the screen on it and make sure. Yep. You know, and another thing, too, Joe, you need to, we, got it, we need to look and see about the services, you know. Has yep. it been serviced properly? It could have a pan full of sludge on it. You can pull that screen out of there. Most of the time, it's and telltale. You can tell what's going on with it. And if it hadn't been serviced properly, that's that's part of a... Yeah, the sludge would be yeah. up there to the screen. And, that's it. and if it's there, cleaning the screen will help it for a little bit, but eventually you're going to have to pull the pan off back. of it. Yep. And, you know, you're going to have to go through and do a little cleaning here and there to, to get it, you know. But, you know, the the thing about it is, you know, it's probably got a screen stopped up is reason it's flipping because you know joe and i know if it didn't have an oil pressure pieces wasn't gonna come outside of it well i you know i agree with you i think that you know saying it's the worst case scenario an oil pump issue is probably it hadn't been properly diagnosed in my opinion exactly it should have been the sending unit and the oil pressure test sending unit pull it out Look at the screen, see what it looks like, yep. and that will lead you in the right direction. Yeah, and that's what it should have been done. If the screen's got sludge on it, okay, let's pull the pan and clean it. That's right, because it could you be know. the old screen. I mean, the old pickup in the pan stops yes. up. And yeah, because it sits on the bottom of the pan. It ain't, but like a quarter inch, you know, from the bottom of the pan, and it don't take much sludge nowadays to stop one of them up. Well, you know, that screen like a like a vacuum cleaner. It's oh, sucking yeah. oil up, and it'll gather up that debris, and when it restricts, then you're going to lose oil pressure. Yep. You can let it set for a little bit, and that debris will drift back off. And then you can start it again, your oil pressure will be right again. back up. But you got to drive it long enough for it to gather all that stuff back up again to yep. restrict it. So, yeah, you got to get it warm. You know, you got to get it up operating temperature so it thin the oil down a little bit and stuff like that. But, you know, if she could take it to one of our certified centers, me or Joe or, or any, you know, just go online and look at the certified centers with bumper to bumper. One of us will take care of you. One of us will figure out, you know, what we need to do to cure your problem. 
it has it has a problem and joe don't you agree she needs to have something done to it yes before it ruins the motor i mean you know uh it needs to have some attention done pretty quickly it it needs to be diagnosed because i mean she could have something that is is major wrong but it sh- could have something that's minor wrong too but if you delay it it's it's not going to it's not going to get any better it's just going to get <laughs> no. worse no it's not going to get no better it's not going to cure itself let's put it that way that's a fact well, we got a couple more here, Duck. Uh, let's go to uh, uh, the second one on our page here. It's Denise got 07 Dodge Nitro SLT <laughs> six cylinder, 3.7 liter. Uh, she says, My 07 Dodge Nitro doesn't go in reverse. You can hear it engaging, but it over revs when trying to reverse. All the other gears work just fine. I took the car to a couple of transmission shops, and they said they couldn't really figure it out that it might be an internal issue. Anyone have this problem? What needs to be done? Well, you and I know exactly what needs to be done there. I read that earlier, and and I thought, yep, this ain't the first one of these cases that's ever happened. Yep. And, uh, you know, she's got got an internal issue in the transmission. She does. And and it's not going to be a fix-it-without-pulling-it-out. It's going to have to be pulled out. And And disassembled. Yeah, and, and, and our partner in in crime here at the car and truck doctor show is is gary henry at mid-state transmission he's an expert on that yeah and what's happened is broke snap ring the last one i had yes. sent over to gary it broke snap ring yeah. in it and it lets the drum slide off and you can it sounds it. like it's going in gear and everything but, it but it's not that's correct we got a caller hottie we do we have paul in box sites good morning paul how are you doing this morning fine doug how you, you and joe doing today just fine man can't complain it doesn't do any good. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I'm the guy that keeps calling about the 2000 GMC. Mm-hmm. And I just want to know what it costs to have a new motor put in it because uh, I what? left them information. What year is that? A couple of weeks ago. Is it 2000 GMC? Is it a 5.7? Yeah. It's a small V8. Four, oh, I, I got that on my desk. When I get to the office, I'll, uh, give me a call in about an hour and a half. Because I got all that figured up on my desk, and I've been shorthanded, and I've been running around like a chicken with my head cut off. I know what you mean. (laughs) But but I I, I do have all that figured up on my desk, sitting there on, you know. I do have a question uh, on the lady talking about her sensor. Whenever I pull up to a stoplight, the oil pressure goes down to zero, and it starts clicking. Mm-hmm. And then whenever the, you know, if I'm going to be there five minutes, I'll turn my truck off. But if I'm just going to be there a minute, it'll sit and have zero oil pressure. As soon as I take off, the clicking stops and oil pressure goes back up to 40. I was wondering if I got sludge in my oil pan or something. That's a very possibility. Well, you know, they got a couple issues with that engine. And, and as far as that goes, oil pressure is based off of engine RPMs. And if yes. you have a leak somewhere now, we have seen some of these engines where it's a 2000 model, so it's probably not the active fuel management, but we've no. seen some of these where you could have some cam bearing issues. Yep. And you could have a uh, problem with the oil pan gasket where it goes from the oil pan up to the block because the oil filter, the, the lines on the side of that, it can be leaking there. And, and but it's going to require an oil pan removal to diagnose yes. that. So, okay. Yeah. It, well, maybe I don't need a new motor. Maybe I just need. Yeah, just give me a holler here in, here, in, here in about an hour and a half, and I will discuss this, and then we'll get you took care of. We'll go from there. Okay, appreciate y'all. Thank you, thank you, Paul. You know, and there again, Joe. He's you know he has a two thousand model, and yeah, 
he could have the you know it could be an oil pan gasket because you know it's got a and it's got a suction seal. up through there yes. and, and they've been known to get hard and crack same thing with the uh oil pickup tube the o-ring on it they get real hard and they'll crack and with it low rpm it won't suck enough oil yeah. to pump yeah then when you bring it up then it starts yeah. spinning faster it pulls more vacuum on it and yep. It'll pull oil on through there. But, you know, that's something that, you know, this needs to be looked. And there again, like you say, the pan's going to have to come off of it to really know exactly what's going on with it. Oh, absolutely. But the good thing about that, and the pan's fairly easy to get off, you know. Yeah, it is. Without any trouble. If you have any questions about your vehicle, any kind of 18-wheeler, anything like that, if you'll give us a call at 501-823-0965, we'll be more than welcome to help you any way we can. Just talk to Heidi, and she'll get us, you know, get get you on there. So, Joe, what's the next one we want to go to? All right. We're going to go over here to Lance with the uh, 2008 Chrysler Town & Country. He's road trip preparation. He wants a little information. I'm going to read it to you what he asked. He said, I'm looking to drive approximately nine hours for a trip. I had been told I need my front rotors and tires. I had a puncture in my front tire by a nail recently, but it was temporarily fixed. I have a radiator that leaks, but often I have to fill it with water. 08 Chrysler van. I am not very mechanically savvy. I try to take care of my vehicle. I would like to get a newer or even just a car as it is sometimes a pain to drive being bulky. I don't make much per month and have saved a little money. I want to know if I should just get a spare and keep water buckets on hand in the car while doing the long travel. I currently have no spare tires. Just what just want to know my best options for keeping this vehicle on the road for this trip within my budget and and, and there's no good answer to this question is no there? answer no <laughs> there's because if you go buy another car you may buy one worse than what you got now yes and and you know taking a, a, a nine-hour trip in a car that's got a leaky radiator and tires are wore out and and you're going to have trouble. temporary fixed a tire that means they they advised him that the tire wasn't worth fixing they probably plugged it not patched yeah. it because of where the hole was and and there's no way he needs to make a trip in this car for no. nine hours because mm-hmm. the tires is a safety issue and you know the radiator leak and the cooter link could always get worse and you yeah, could, could split be wide stranded open. somewhere or you could damage the engine on it and make your problems twice as bad by overheating it yes and that's going to leave you stranded then you're at the mercy of wherever you're at you're not at home you're not where you can get it to a shop you're familiar with our, our answer to that is you need to postpone your trip well till you make alternate or get that vehicle fixed where it is roadworthy or go down there and rent your car for the week Yep, could do that. You know, spend your money, and that way you can ride in something that you can depend on getting you down there and getting you back home. At least you know you're going to get home. Exactly. So that's Heidi, hard. we got a phone call? We do. We have Bob in Benton. Good morning, Bob. How are you doing this morning? Doing great. Thank you. I'm a independent dealer, and uh, I buy a lot of Toyota cars and trucks because I'm, I'm a Toyota man. I like them. Yes, sir. So recently, I bought some Toyota Tundras, and I get a check engine light. Or even the four-wheel low-light flashes, check engine lights on, ABS lights on, uh, traction control light comes on. I Google it, and it says it's probably the secondary air injection pump and valve. So I carry it to a mechanic, and sure enough, that's what it was. And they said, well, better go ahead and replace the valves, too. So we replaced the pumps and the valves, and that takes care of it. Well, I've had a lot of that happen here lately. Uh, you think that the uh, answer is replacing everything every time, or is there 
something else we could do to make that light go off. And it runs fine, except sometimes it goes into the limp mode, you know. Uh, it, you can clear the code, and it'll go in just fine for a while. But when it, after four or five cycles, then it uh, comes back on and goes into the limp mode. But you have to replace the pumps and the valves every time that happens. Well, if if you do the repair properly, that's what you're supposed to do. do yes. Let me explain to you what the secondary air injection does, okay? A okay. fuel injecting engine starts off of coolant temperature, and it's ambient temperature when it's cold. For instance, if it's 50 degrees outside, it knows what it, how much fuel it needs to spray in there to start that engine at 50 degrees. Say it's 15 degrees outside or 10 below zero up north. When you start that up, it's going to dump a bunch of fuel in there to get it started. What the secondary air injection does, those valves open, that pump runs, and it sucks in fresh air. It pumps that fresh air down the exhaust into the converters to keep that excessive, rich run from damaging the catalytic converters. And if that system doesn't work, it's going to set a code for it. If it sets a code for it, when it sets that code, it's going to turn the traction control off, the ABS light on, and all those other lights are going to come on, too, because... It's detected a fault in the engine ECM, and for traction control to work, the engine ECM, the ABS module, the uh, traction control, all of that have to communicate with each other. When one of them sees a fault code in the other one, it says, I can't function, that thing over is not working right. So it turns that light on when that light comes on, and yes, if you have enough ignition cycles on it, it's going to put it in limp mode to make you take it in and get it fixed. I got you. I the, got you. The well, option, you, you, you have one option, okay? But you will have to you will have to bring it in, and, and, and you're down here in the south. I don't think that, that on an older vehicle is not that important, but there are some tuners out there where you can recalibrate a that a little bit without having okay. to replace everything. You yep. would have to call right. us off the air and talk to us about that, okay? But they do make a tuner for All it. Right. Yes, all right. I thought I saw that on the internet. Yeah, but as far as Tacomas, I've never had a problem with the Tacoma. It's a totally I different a setup. It's a different. It, it must be because it's different. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I think a, I'm gonna lay off a tundras for a while. Okay. <laughs> right. Thank, Thank you. you very much. Right. We're gonna take Thank a short break, and we'll be back in a few minutes. This is a Dave Evans show. Thank you. And we're back here with this is this is a duck, and now I got Joe in the studio with us. Dave's off taking care of some personal business today, uh, so. Joe, you know, the guy we were just talking, you know, yeah. there is a way to take care of that, but you'll have to call us off there, yes. you know. But uh, that's common with them things. Yes, it is. And it's you're in the southern part of the United States. Yep. It, it Really, you don't ever have that problem out of them. Well, if he was to wait till summertime like it is right now, he won't have near as much problem with no. it than it does in wintertime. No. Because it's got to get below, I think, 50-something degrees. 56 degrees, yeah. I think, is what it is. Before it calls for that uh, secondary air to come on on a cold start. So. Do we have a caller, Heidi? We do. We have Yashua in Little Rock. Uh, good morning, Yashua. This is Don and Duck. It's the Truck Doctor Show. What can we do for you today? Well, uh, first of all, thank you for taking my call. I really appreciate it. I started listening to your show a couple of weeks ago. And uh, it occurred to me that I can call you with this problem. I um, I own a 2008 Scion XB, and uh, it's been quite a while already where these problems are happening on it. If I run the car more than, uh, I'll say, 25 minutes to the engine to warm up or heat up enough, uh, if I turn it off, 
I have to wait an equal probably time, 20 to 25 minutes, to uh, to get the engine started. I have taken the car to different uh, technicians, and they pass it through their scanner uh, system, and they can't figure out what exactly the problem is. And uh, and but after 25, if you know if the car, if I manage to for the car to start up again, I can drive it, you know, forever, and it it won't happen again unless I turn it off again. And, cra- uh, I have so a question just, for you. Uh, what's mileage on this vehicle? 176, and it started happening when I was 150. Okay. Well, we we both got a couple ideas on this. Yes. And, and okay. you know, it, this is a simple diagnosis, okay? Because if sure. you run it till it reaches operating temperature and you run it for 30 minutes and you shut it off and then you try and restart it immediately and it doesn't restart, this is one yeah. that me and Duck love to see. Yes. Because all we need is a scanner hooked up on it while it won't start and look at what's going on and we can diagnose your problem. Okay? Yes, I promise you. We can take care of your problem just by... But we got to catch it doing it. The, that's it. And if it does this regularly, this is not going to be an issue to diagnose, I promise no. you. Okay? Okay. And how do we do that? Well, you just bring it in to where are you located? He's at? in Little Rock, so he'd be closer to you. Well, I, I actually live in Hot Springs. I work in Little Rock. Okay. Um, you guys are in Conway? No. Uh, we have a uh, shop, uh, Ducks, probably if, you're, if yeah. you live in Hot Springs, Ducks Place is in Benton. It's yeah. probably the closest one to you, yeah. especially if you commute. Yeah, if you come back and forth to Little Rock. And, and if, if if so, just call his shop, Duck, give him the number, and let him set up a day to bring it by, and, and, and we can go from there. I'm sure we can get this fixed yes. for you. 501-778-2885. And ask to speak to Russell or Blake or Ashley. Ashley probably answer the phone, and she'll get Russell for you. And just tell him that you've talked to us on radio, and tell him okay. you know tell him what you just told us that this has problem when you cut it off, and it's probably got a soaking problem. But we need to have the scanner on it when it's doing it, and you can take the scanner when it's doing it, mm-hmm. and you know exactly what's wrong with it. Yep, it could be a crank sen- signal bad. Could be an injector sticking, dribbling, yep. it's flooded, and have to set for a little bit. And clear uh, out, you know, but uh, it won't be no problem to find with a computer. No, it won't. All just, right. Just give one then, of us um, a call, and we'll get you took care of. Thank you, guys. Appreciate thank you. you. We do thank appreciate you. you for listening. Yes, sir. Appreciate it. And, and there again, Joe, that, you know, we've run into that problem a bunch of times. Well, you know... <sighs> A lot of times shops, they, they look over some of the stuff, that, and, and some shops are so busy, they just don't take the time to do a proper look at diagnosis on exactly. it. And, you know, especially on an intermittent situation. But that one there, if it's consistent in doing that, I love those kind of jobs. Because the ones that are intermittent, when you, when you do something to it, you think you found it. Did you really fix it if it's working, or is it just happenstance it's working today? Yeah, it just happened that it started yeah. back working today. You so know, you never know in the, your mind. You're not 100% sure if you fixed the problem. This here, if it's duplicable every time, time, it is very simple. Yeah, because you can take the monitor and look yeah. at it and see if you got an injector sticking open on it. And, or, or if it's got it. a coolant temp sensor that's uh, reading wrong, or crank yeah. sensor, or cam sensor, or whatever's going on you'll have some data there while it's cranking and it won't run and you know those could be something to do with uh fuel pump related could be could be a, a relay or could emissions. be a cam sensor yeah. crank sensor you there's know there's 20 different things it could be but when i got the computer on i can see it that's correct 
Absolutely. You know, and, and, you know, there it is. You know, if you have a problem, just give one of us a call at our shops, and we'll be more than welcome to take care of you. Yeah. Uh, you know, Joe, nice to see you today. I'm glad you're doing better. Dave, we're all thinking about you. Yeah. So if you need anything, you know where me and Joe's at. Thank you. Have a wonderful day.